Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Award. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Testing, testing. <laughs> yeah, we're here. <laughs> we're doing this. I feel like we just talked a lot about what we want to talk about, but we can maintain our enthusiasm and share everything. It's getting so, us in the mindset of like what yes, we're about to talk about. Right? Yeah. Getting ready spiritually, mentally, emotionally, energetically, all the things. Awesome. Okay. So today we are talking about oh no, my oh okay. Don't play with my microphone. Okay, today <laughs> we're talking about some really fun stuff. So um as some of you guys might know, I'm on TikTok just to watch stuff and I love watching a lot of things and one of the things i've been fascinated with is by all the pastors and and theologians that are on tiktok these days um it's always very short 15 to 60 second pieces of insights regarding scriptures and whatnot um, but they do give deeper insights and clarity to biblical passages throughout this quarantine time i've been sending quite a few to tracy because they're fun it's just so much fun to see what people have to say about the bible and in doing this um, we both kind of realized that we don't necessarily know that much about the Bible other than like what we read and the surface level material that it's provided to us at church most of the time. Yeah. Like we don't know much about the history of record keeping by prophets and apostles of the Bible. We don't know much about the Bible, how the Bible is translated and spread other than, you know, the Gutenberg printing press because that's important. We, we don't know about a lot of things, so we want to learn more. Yeah. But and then as we do proceed with this so we do have the eighth article of faith and the eighth article of faith says we believe the bible to be the word of god as far as it is translated correctly we also believe the book of mormon to be the word of god so we decided to do a deep dive into the bible i mean honestly i feel like we still only we've only like dipped a toe in but we've already learned a lot that we did and we still don't like completely know or understand so through our research, we found a lot of great resources regarding the history of compiling the Bible, which parts went missing, and how the words of prophets were canonized and uncanonized due to the spread of Christianity versus Judaism, empirical rulers like Caesar and Alexander the Great and Constantine, and just losing pieces of, scripture, of sacred scripture along the way. There is so much that has happened through history, through all of, yeah, like all of it, like, there, there, like there's just so much that has happened. We need the Bible, but we also need to understand everything that helped create the Bible as we have it today. If we if we want to believe the Bible um, is translated correctly, we have to understand it in its cultural context and its literal and its spiritual, like all those contexts. We need to have a better understanding. And this is one of the reasons that today we are talking about the non-canonical Bible. Yeah. Super exciting stuff. It's honestly been a wild week of researching all of this stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. Like from the stuff that Kaylee has sent me on TikTok of the like pastors and theologians and all this other stuff who are explaining different interpretations of the Bible or things that are missing and stories that are missing. That's basically what gave us the idea to talk about this in the first place. And then I started researching and went a completely different uh-huh. direction. <laughs> <laughs> and so did Kaylee. And Rabbit we were hole. Like, <laughs> we're like, there's well, too much. <laughs> too much. We will so, drown in it. Yeah. So we are going to be talking a lot about the non-canonical Bible, but we're also going to be talking about like the history of the Bible, like Kaylee said, how it all came together, mm-hmm. because we had no idea about any of this other than the typical church answer of like, Moses was a prophet. He was commanded to take record of the things he did and saw. And when he spoke with God, the end. And like, that's all we know. Um, Pretty much, yeah. So hopefully we can inspire you to do your own research. Or maybe we can inspire you to hear more episodes about this in the future. We really feel like there's going to be multiple episodes about this in the future. So at least we're very much hoping because this is so fascinating. It really is. So much it's fun. <laughs> way crazier and cooler than I ever imagined it to be. So mm-hmm. let's do this. I think the most important thing to differentiate first is what is canon and what is non-canonical. What do they mm-hmm. mean? Why do they matter? Mm-hmm. Also, non-canonical is a word. I'm not making it up. <laughs> it's, it's real. real. 
Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, canon is a word of Greek origin, originally meaning a rod for testing straightness. It's now used to denote the authoritative collection of the sacred books used by the true believers of Christ. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the canonical books are called the standard works, which are the Bible, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Those are our standard works. Yes, our canon. All right, then non-canonical means not belonging to the canon of scriptures, in case you guys couldn't guess that. So non-canonical, not part of the canon. Traditionally speaking, these are books which could be different versions of the Bible. They could be scrolls or records found but not utilized. They could also be records that we have heard of but don't physically have. It means all the other materials. Um, then one thing I do want to note, though, that canon and non-canonical doesn't necessarily always have to only relate to uh, scriptures because a lot of people use it for different things. When I was trying to look at more information on canon scriptures on TikTok, most of the stuff I was finding was like things that are canon in the Marvel universe and the Harry yeah. Potter universe and other things <laughs> like that. So like it's it's not just for scriptures. I think this is where it started out as, but we can also use it for different things. It's just canon is is more factual and widely accepted because of some kind of written down proof, basically. Not canonical is more speculation or unproven or unaccepted or things that were missing, yeah. could be missing. So exactly. fun stuff. Yes. All right. So on churchofjesuschrist.org, they have multiple study guides where you can literally research anything that you want to know about the scriptures. Um, so this is from the study guide in the Bible dictionary. If you look up the term lost books, the quote says, the so-called lost books of the Bible are those documents that are mentioned in the Bible in such a way that it is evident they were considered authentic and valuable, but that are not found in the Bible today. Sometimes called missing scripture, they consist of at least the following. The Book of the Wars of the Lord, the Book of Jasher, the Book of the Acts of Solomon, the Book of Samuel the Seer, the Book of Gad the Seer, the Book of Nathan the Prophet, Prophecy of Ahijah, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but moving on. The Visions of Edo the Seer, the Book of Shemea, the Book of Jehu, Sayings of the Seers, an Epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, earlier than our present 1 Corinthians, <gasps> and possibly an earlier Epistle to the Ephesians, an Epistle to the that. Church at Laodicea, and some prophecies of Enoch that were known to Jude and recorded in Jude. Oh, that is so interesting. That's a lot. Yes, that is so many. I always thought it was like maybe three, maybe seven books at most that we might have been potentially missing. But that's more than that. So in that study that. guide, I kind of cut them out mm -hmm. so I could read it more smoothly. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but after each of the books, if you look on the study guide online, literally, again, just type in lost books and you'll see it. It has links to each point in the scriptures where these books are mentioned. So oh if you wanted to know more or like see for yourself, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. Literally, you can look at this study guide and click on each of the books and see exactly where in the Old Testament and in the New Testament these books are referred to. Oh, that is so cool. Definitely take your Bible study a little bit further next time. I love it. Okay, and then the, article, the, the content about the last books also goes on, and it says that the foregoing items attest to the fact that our present Bible does not contain all of the word of God that he gave to his people in former times and remind us that the Bible in its present form is rather incomplete. The Book of Mormon makes reference to the writings of Old Testament times and connections that are not found in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or any other known source. These writings are of Zenoch, Zenos, and Nehemiah. They get referenced in 1 Nephi chapter 19, verse 10, as well as Alma chapter 33, verses 3 through 17. An extensive prophecy by Joseph in Egypt, which is not in the Bible, is also apparent from 2 Nephi chapter 3, verses 4 through 22. And a prophecy of Jacob not found in the Bible is given in Alma chapter 46, verses 24 through 26. These writings were evidently contained on the plates of brass spoken of in the Book of Mormon, which is mentioned in 1 Nephi chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. I feel like I should have realized 
some time ago. But this is new to me. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, uh, like, <laughs> there was a point in my study and my research mm-hmm. of all of this that talks about how you can see where there is a gap in the records of the Old Testament from the plates of brass that Nephi was able to get. There's like that gap. But mm-hmm. then apparently there were other plates that had writings of the Bible on them that have just like disappeared. <sighs> time. So, and nobody knows so what books were on those plates either. So mm-hmm. like, just yeah, gone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Very sad, but, but what can we do? Essentially from these two quotes that we've shared from the Bible study guides, we learned that the Bible that we know today in 2020 does not contain the fullness of the teachings of Christ from the entire Old Testament and New Testament times. Mm-hmm. We know that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of God's teachings and his dealings with the people in the Americas, but that doesn't make up the difference of the missing pieces from the Bible. It's very important to remember that the Book of Mormon complements the Bible and enhances the meaning and understanding of the principles taught in the Bible, but there is still more that we don't have that is missing from the Bible. So it's not that, Mm -hmm. like, the Book of Mormon is here to save everything and teach us everything that's missing from the Bible. I mean, it does teach Mm -hmm. us a lot, and it does have the fullness of the gospel in it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it does not fill all of the gaps of the Bible because <laughs> there are so many. It really does. Tell you a lot of them today. <laughs> Honestly, yes, there's there so many, which is disappointing, but it also makes it very fascinating for the way that we interpret everything now. Especially as you were writing, as you were mentioning all those uh, the books that were missing of all the prophets that we don't know about. I can't help wonder, like, what exactly they were saying. If there's a reason why we don't have them. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachings are much too radical for us or something like that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it really is time to get rid of the government, you guys. Oh, my God. Um, it's just so fascinating, though. And yeah. so the fact that we do have the Bible now, though, is very exciting, um, very important. And it's amazing how we can have all these scriptures, all this content, and we still interpret it very differently. I do want to mention one of the pastors that I do like to follow on TikTok. Tick, tick, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, his his username is Rev Brandon All A's Robertson. Rev Brandon Robertson. He's a progressive Christian, and he just shares a lot of really cool insights that I enjoy. And he basically basically built his platform on acceptance, love, and overcoming hate during these days. And one of his points that I was going th- when I was going through his videos is that we should accept the Bible, but also accept it in its context. We need to understand what books we do have and what books we don't have, as well as the ones that we are or are not accepting. Um, mm-hmm. And he was explaining how like we really do need to understand all the books within their proper literary and cultural context. And for him, at least, he sees the Old Testament a lot like many of the Jewish do um, within their faith, which is about accepting the prophecies as prophecies, the stories as stories, psalms as psalms, purity codes as purity codes, and so on. And it's just been an an interesting experience for me to read through his material and to take into consideration on what I do personally believe and what our church supports and believes. Um, So, like, I'm still not always clear on exactly what stories may actually be parables or myths um, but like he mentioned how jonah and the whale is a myth which you know i mean makes sense but it, it's just like super interesting and he said that even like no matter how you want to believe it whether it happened or not he said that just because something is not factually true does not mean it's not actually true just yeah? going with the idea of jonah being swallowed by a whale being a myth like Mm-hmm. It seems very illogical that a whale would swallow a human. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know exactly where they were geographically, <laughs> but I'm assuming uh, that there weren't many whales. So, like, mm-hmm. how far did they go out, really? <laughs> yeah. So, like, the story being factually true, mm-hmm. or sorry, being factually untrue, does not change the fact that the principles behind that story are true Mm -hmm. yes exactly which i think is really the main takeaway that we do need to concentrate on um a lot of people get caught up and like why is the donkey talking in the bible um when we (laughs) need to be focusing on like what can we be learning from this how does this relate to our faith and how can we be better people through this and how can we come into christ sooner like this 
whether it's canon or not, the Bible has been through a lot of history. Like, it goes through a lot of people. It goes through a lot of translations and everything. And it's also gone through modes of power very with the various translations and a lot more. So it's important that we note down, as we did at the beginning of the article of faith, um, that we believe the Bible to be true as it is translated correctly. So there's still a lot to learn from it, no matter if it's history or a story, like we were saying. We've already touched on this a little bit, but we wanted to do an entire dive (laughs) headfirst into the how these pieces of the Bible went missing. So Mm -hmm. in order to better understand how pieces went missing, we need to look back in time to how the Bible itself came to be. In 1982, the Ensign commissioned Lynette H. Reed, a literal badass woman from Gainesville, (laughs) Florida. They had her write a series of articles regarding how the Bible came to be. These articles would be published monthly from January to September of 1982, and all of them are available on churchofjesuschrist.org. Check it out, you guys. Yeah, just check in. um, Sorry, just search how the Bible came to be, and you'll find all of them. Going with this, we need to know how the Bible was written itself. To summarize another study guide from the church's website, Essentially, the Old Testament prophets wrote or they dictated their teachings and revelations from God to scribes, and the writings were collected, saved, and passed down to whoever was called next to be the prophet. For example, we know that Moses utilized scribes to write the revelations that he received, which is why we have a detailed account of his death and what happened right after he died, because obviously Moses mm-hmm. can't write that part. So <laughs> the scribe goes back as it goes. He's like, I need to pen this really fast before I yeah. go. <laughs> ghost writing, literal ghost writing. <laughs> right. okay. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, That's a good one. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Um, yes. All right. So the scribe recorded it all. He preserved it, and then he passed it on to Joshua, who was the next prophet. For the New Testament, the apostles kept their own records, and they sent them to one another. And in them, they gave their official testimonies of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. So these records were kept and passed around to regulate the affairs of the church as they were spreading it. Mm -hmm. And then it was also meant to keep everyone on the same path. So that's just like your general Tracy Digest version of how Mm -hmm. this all came to be. Okay, that's actually super interesting. So the apostles kept the records and shared them with one another. Mm -hmm. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could have written them down, which I believe it's believed that they wrote them down at different times in their lives. And they like shared them with one another. Yes. So from all of my research also, so the reason that we have like the Gospels that show the ministry of Christ and his death and resurrection in like so many different like points of view and with different levels of detail Mm -hmm. is because of that. So they were writing them at different points in their lives. So their memories were different, but they were also writing from their own points of view. So like Mm -hmm. in one of the articles I read, it said like one of them focused on the healings and then another said like he focused on Mm -hmm. teachings and like all those other things. They showed the different parts of Jesus Christ because of their own perspectives with them. Yeah. Yes. That is so cool. And that's so, that's, that makes so much sense. And it's also interesting to see how they do write it all out a little bit differently. Um, like I remember, like when we were all talk, when we were doing the the New Testament and come follow me last year, it was really fun to see um, a, a little bit about each of the writers' histories mm-hmm. and see how that affected how they saw the world around them and how they shared their the teachings of of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, if they were tax collectors, if they were this kind of person, if they were that, like it's just so interesting. Yeah, so it's awesome. cool. Okay. All right. So in Lynette H. Reed's second article, she states, The preservation of records was of great concern to the Hebrews. From the first, scriptures were treated with the utmost care. Moses' writings were preserved in the Ark of the Covenant. The scriptures record the names of those who are called to be state scribes, for this was considered an office of very great importance. Senior scribes were given their own rooms in palaces and temples. Ancient writings remained only in the hands of priests and were read only by the scribes. 
each scroll had to be copied directly from another scroll, and until the destruction of the temple, official copies were taken directly from the master copy in the temple itself. The official scrolls were the most holy objects in the synagogue and were treated in every way like treasures. And that is specifically in relation to Old Testament times and up through the first century AD of New Testament times. That is so fascinating. And that's so cool. And I, I remember like, so my very basic, you know, history lessons of like, yeah, scribes were super important. They were the only ones who could help keep the history. Like they, about around that time, everything started changing from oral histories to being written down and everything now that they had language and words to use. And it changed everything. Super fun. (laughs) And then she also explains how the apostles, like Paul, for example, carried their records with them wherever they went, including prison, which like (laughs) kind of blew my mind. Like, why would you take these into prison with you? You might die there. So she explained that sometimes the letters that they wrote from their imprisonment, so like Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that's sort of like all of yes. those letters, um, sometimes the letters that they wrote from their imprisonment ended up being preserved in the scrolls as well, or in tablets or whatever they were using Ooh. to like mm-hmm. write down everything as they moved from city to city. When Paul realized that he was coming near the end of his ministry, he left his scrolls with the church somewhere, I don't know mm-hmm. where exactly and he instructed them to preserve the writings because they were of the utmost importance to the church otherwise he would have had them on him like up until the very end yeah oh my gosh which means all the prophets are still doing a lot until they died like that we don't have possibly man when i just think about everything that we're missing it it just it just kills me a little bit like you know like the the (laughs) libraries of alexander you're like we should have had this we should have but we don't yeah We'll, we'll learn it all someday, I'm sure. So, all right, going back to the study guide from the church's website, we learned that uh, that after the apostles were martyred and there was no one left who had been around Christ during his earthly ministry, there, there was a rising confusion among the Church of Christ and among the Jews. We also saw Romans taking control of Jerusalem, expanding their empire, and attempting to destroy any record regarding Christ. The study guide states if a Christian is forced by the Roman government to burn his books, he most likely will surrender those that are non-authoritative and conceal the more valuable documents. In order to do this, he must know which are which. No doubt many writings of both Old and New Testament times have been lost and perhaps even willfully destroyed crazy it hurts that is so fascinating though and i don't know like okay so we really focus on on everything that christ did during his time and so on like we needed we need christ for his teachings we need the prophets to learn more of his teachings and so on but i feel like we never talk enough about what the roman church did to get rid of everything and i remember learning stories in college of like christians being like thrown to the lions and stuff and there's like some like old uh, where is this i I swear i learned this in college um but there was like there was this pregnant christian girl who ended up getting tossed to lions but they have like a recording of her testimony somewhere Oh. oh cool i'll have to look more into this because i swear it's true and i just remember like wanting to like ball when i learned about this because you know it's like emotional and super sad and no one should have to die for the religion like this honestly Uh, it's so crazy to just think that like the romans were so focused on conquering that they were like anything anything that refers to not rome must go i mean i know it's it happened so it's not like too crazy but it's so wild to think that people went crazy And, like, it was really just Caesar being crazy and having a mild inferiority complex and needing to control everything, including what people read. So it's insane. Honestly, it's it's so so crazy. All right. But we still have some documents, which is important. And we're going to talk more about those. Okay. So we do have some... Uh, more material from the study guide, and it states that in order to quell this destruction of religious documents, in AD 90, a council of Jewish scholars met in Jamnia or Jevna near Joppa. 
to determine which of the books are true, which are false, which would be accepted by the Jews, and which would be taken away. Books of both the Old and New Testament origin began servicing with the writings of apostates or from authors who wanted to propagate their own agendas instead of the Lord's true words. Some good judgment was used, and some spurious books were rejected, while our present New Testament was preserved. Times of persecution also precipitated decisions as to which books were true and which false. That's so interesting. I didn't think... But, I mean, it makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, I to- this is totally scripture. Like, Jesus wrote this himself. Just include it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, everyone wants to, like, include their own agenda and their own stories. Like, I knew, and I've known that, like, through time, that there are groups of people brought together. Like, I know at one point, I don't know if it was for the King's, King what? James Virgin Bible. <laughs> that version of the Bible that King James had, had put together. It was, like, during that one or, like, ah. another council where there was, like, 300 people on the committee to decide. Like, that's a lot of people, like, going through a lot of materials. And, I mean, what if they didn't all unanimously agree that something should be included? Like, it's just so it's just so fascinating. I just wish I could have been there in all those rooms as they read through the materials and tried to see what to include and what to share with everyone. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine being in those, like, religious leaders' position and having the Romans be like, Ugh. burn your teachings, burn your scrolls, burn your records, right? and like making the decision, which ones can we do without? And like, right? like making that split second decision to just be like, you know what? The book of <laughs> talking donkey, not so important. I'm going to throw that right? into the fire for like something Honestly, else. Honestly, like yeah, they could be like, well, I don't like this one personally, so I'm just going to yeah. vote against it. Or like, oh, I, I just love this because of this dumb reason and so we should definitely keep it as doctrine just because I like it and it, it fits me personally it's, it's so <laughs> crazy like I'm gonna say that over and over again it's all crazy oh, I know man this material is amazing so it says that when the church was in apostasy whether before or after the time of Christ some valuable writings were misjudged to be an error because the judges lacked the truth and so were discarded Likewise, some books of lesser value may have been judged to be good. In the main, however, some guidelines were established that helped to preserve the authoritative books. Among these rules were the following. One, is it claimed that the document was written by a prophet or apostle? Two, is the content of the writing consistent with known and accepted doctrines of the faith? Three, is the document already used and accepted in the church? By application of these tests, the books now contained in the Bible have been preserved. Although the decisions were made in the past as to which writings were authoritative, that does not mean that the canon of scripture is complete and that no more can be added. True prophets and apostles will continue to receive new revelation, and from time to time, the legal authorities of the church will see fit to formally add to the collection of scripture. That is so amazing. I like honestly, like I would love if like there was like this one big announcement, and that was actually one of the things I'd been hoping for in general conference this year. Yeah. Um, that they'd like add like a few books of scripture, and I'd be like, yes. Like, in April. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like not that I'm looking for anything in particular, like at all. Like I'm very happy with what we have, but like just to get like a little bit more would have been like so exciting. <sighs> I agree. I was definitely <laughs> expecting something of like that caliber of intensity to drop in April when they were hyping yeah. the April conference, but <laughs> it's okay. I mean, look at them. I think, someday. I think it's important to note that the scriptures will not change now just on a whim. Oh yes. Like that quote is so important because there will, and there can be a time when more records are found and put under Very the true. intense scrutiny of scholars, theologians, and church leaders and everything else mm-hmm. before anything is added to our canonized scriptures. Mm-hmm. And especially now, because we have so much intense research methods <laughs> and like, yes, like it only true. makes sense that at some point in the near future, we're going to mm-hmm. find more, but Honestly, yeah, but I guess we can take comfort in the knowledge that what we have now is truly what God intended for us to have right mm-hmm. now. Exactly. We'll use what we can and move forward, and someday, hopefully, fingers crossed in this lifetime, there'll be more to enjoy. But moving forward, we do want to talk about now how um, how does this, how does the history that we've learned so far, how does this affect the Eighth Article of Faith and the work of translations? 
All right, so we know that the eighth article of faith, it refers to our belief of the Bible as far as it is translated correctly, as we've discussed. This is very challenging, though, because the Bible has already un undergone multiple translations before being translated into English and then made available worldwide. There's still, like, other people who are, like, getting, like, other versions, and I know, like, monks are always writing down um, their scriptures and, like, sharing them and translating them into their own, like, languages. There's just, there's just so many translations, and even today, people are, are retranslating the material, which is absolutely fascinating. So in Lynette H. Reed's second article, again, I used a lot of her second article for this research because the second yeah. article has, like, the bulk of the history of the Bible stuff that we need. All right, and I mean, like, up. the ancient history. So she says, Aramaic is generally thought to have been the general tongue of the Hebrews after their Babylonian captivity, since it is also the language used in trade and diplomatic relations over a wide area, it became entrenched as the everyday speech of the inhabitants of Judah. Therefore, from the 4th century BC, the Hebrew scriptures were an enigma to most of the Jews unless they were translated for them. Yet, at that point, according to Jewish tradition, written translations were forbidden, oral translations were permitted, but only by official synagogue translators, and even then, the translation had to be done verse by verse in the Torah. I never knew that. That is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, they wouldn't want it to get, like, to spiral off in any wrong direction by having it spread too much by the wrong people. Like, that does make sense. Um but for the long run, like as the world continues to grow and everything, like it wasn't, it couldn't be practical for for forever. Exactly. I'm gonna read this next quote first, and then I'll say what I was okay. thinking. Um, right. So she continues and says the oral translations or targums were more than just translations; they were interpretation and explanation, sometimes even extending into sermons. The religious leaders found these methods actually useful in overcoming what they felt were easily misunderstood passages. Eventually, written targums were also allowed, but the translations had to be written between the lines of the Hebrew on the actual scrolls. And so it really is hard to have a clear-cut record of the scriptures just from an oral history. Because, mm -hmm. yes, like, it's an accurate-ish story because people remember the stories and blah 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 right. but if you think about it like it says like the oral targums can turn into sermons they could turn into interpretations extrapolation mm -hmm. like so many things yeah. to this that takes away from the actual doctrine itself so for example it's like those really stupid stories of like dudes going fishing that like catch a small fish and then they blow it out of proportion and say it was like an 18 foot whale yes. so, <laughs> well it's and it's the telephone game too like yeah. people are going to understand things differently they're going to hear things differently and then they're going to say things differently as well like it just continues to change a little bit like yeah. it doesn't have to change a lot but like just one change word one change concept it can change everything like just switching the words like charity and love for something like can completely alter everything yeah and so then with this this is mm -hmm. the first language translation of the bible records which was from aramaic to hebrew just going off of the targums like we were saying it's possible that the teachings on the targums and on the scrolls could have been clouded mm -hmm. over by the interpretations of man so, yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly if everything in that translation was 100% accurate. So that Ooh, makes yeah. it a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately some translations can be basically a teacher or preacher's sermon about what it originally was of. Yeah, but wait, yeah. there's more. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So she continues in this article and says, but with the conquest of Palestine by Alexander the Great in 333 BC, there was another dispersion mm -hmm. of Jews, this time to Egypt. Alexander's conquests had spread the use of Greek throughout a very wide area, and Greek yeah. became the language used in commercial and literary enterprises. Most Jews living in lands other than Judah became Greek-speaking. Around 250 BC, a translation was made of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Historically speaking, there is some dispute about how the translation came to be exactly. 
the general consensus is that it took 72 days somewhere near Alexandria done by Jewish translators from Jerusalem. There is some like dispute as to whether it was like 72 different Jewish leaders or like some other thing. Mm. Uh Regardless. But the number 72 is prominent. Yes. Okay. This translation is known as the Septuagint, which means 70 in Latin. Oh. So. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then I was just thinking on my own. So we've trans. Now we're mm-hmm. on the third translate or the second translation. My bad. So we've gone from Aramaic to Hebrew, and now we're going from Hebrew to Greek. If anyone has any sort of language experience <laughs> other than yeah. English, translating <laughs> is really difficult work. And there's a lot of times where words get left out in order to better explain or simplify a concept. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense yeah. that we have that article of faith where we caution and we believe in the Bible as far as it has been translated correctly. Because mm-hmm. so many things could be left out. Things could be changed to fit better with like the meter of the oh, verses, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. a lot can happen. So much. So interesting. Okay, and then there is a great article in 1987 in the Ensign um, titled, I have a question, why does the church still use the King James Version? And this is so important. When the church was organized in 1830, the King James Version, also known as the Authorized Version, was a translation predominantly used in the English-speaking world. Latter-day Saints relied on it in their meetings and the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price were written in a style of language similar to that in the KJV. Our early church leaders were partial to the KJV, not only because they had grown up with it, but also was couched in language unparalleled to its literal beauty. All translators would have difficulty producing an accurate Bible, whether they used the 12th to 14th century manuscripts available to the KJV translators or use earlier manuscripts. Weaknesses in modern Bible versions are more often the result of, of faulty Hebrew and Greek texts that have logical misconceptions and renditions. I think I've kind of already knew, like, that's the reason why we use um, the King James Version, that, like, everyone was already using it, like, it was widely accepted. But I haven't read other versions to know if it's literarily more beautiful. And th- this is very interesting. Yeah, it's a little strange, the other yeah, translations. I believe. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, okay. One interesting thing, though, I did find um, on Wikipedia about the biblical apocrypha. It says that the English language King James Version of 1611 followed the lead of the Luther Bible and using an intertestamental section labeled books called apocrypha um so this is just a mention of the apocrypha clearly um or just apocrypha at the running page header so and it followed the geneva bible of 1560 almost exactly with an exclusion of 14 books so basically all of those bibles published before 1666 included the apocrypha though separately to denote them as not equal to scripture proper as noted by jerome in the vulgate uh, copy of the bible to which he gave the name the apocrypha like, um, so the King James Version still included the Apocrypha up until the end of the 17th century. Interesting. Which is just very interesting. Yeah, like, it just makes me wonder, like, what would have happened? Um, I didn't find, like, why specifically they took it out. Maybe just because they're like, okay, if we're not considering it proper scripture, then we shouldn't have it in here. I'm guessing, like, that makes sense to me. Um, but I just feel like it would have been very interesting if we still included that. Um, from what I researched about the Apocrypha, which we'll explain more about what the Apocrypha is a little bit later. Yes, um, definitely. Actually, right after this section. From what I found, some people believe that the Apocrypha is either true and so uh-huh. sacred that only certain people can see it in religions, or oh. it's completely hmm. fake and people don't accept it whatsoever. So it's mm-hmm. it's very strange. What's also strange though is like for me personally, whenever I think of apocrypha, like it, it leaves like a weird taste in my mouth. Like I feel like one of my first memories in learning about it, like we're like, oh it's definitely not true. And so I'm like, ah, not the apocrypha. But it's too fascinating to ignore. 
Yeah. Like, if it's potential scripture, it needs to be considered. Yeah. So, let's dive more into that, you guys. All right. So, so what exactly is missing? Quite a bit, honestly. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yes. I know. <laughs> we know that there was a religious divide in translating because the Jews wanted to keep their records and the Christians wanted to keep their records. And in the translation of Hebrew to Greek... They really did not want to work together whatsoever and blend them. So we know that some works are not widely accepted by Christians, Mm -hmm. and then others are accepted by Catholics who are technically Christian, but they're not under the same umbrella. And then others Mm -hmm. are accepted only by Jews, and then it's just, it's a mess. I mean, from our knowledge of the apostasy, everyone took a piece of the truth and like, built their church off of that piece of truth Mm, and it's kind of the same with the bible like everyone took their favorite teachings and like called them their records and then when someone wanted to get with another church and like combine records they were like no mine i can't share them with anyone else (laughs) Mm -hmm. so history is weird it's messy and we have a lot of things missing unfortunately yes more information from uh wikipedia on the biblical apocrypha it talks about how the preface to the Apocrypha and the Geneva Bible explained that while these books were not received by common consent to be read and expanded publicly in the church and did not serve to prove any point of Christian religion, save it, save in so much as they had the consent of the other scriptures called canonical to confirm the same. Nonetheless, as books proceeding from godly men, they were received to be read for the advancement and furtherance of the knowledge of history and for the instruction of godly manners. Later, during the English Civil War, the Westminster Confession of 1647 excluded the Apocrypha from the canon and made no recommendation of the Apocrypha above other human writings. And this attitude toward the Apocrypha is represented by the decision of the British and Foreign Bible Society in the early 19th century not to print it. Today, English Bibles with the Apocrypha are becoming more popular again, though, and they are often printed as intertestamental books. So that kind of answers a little bit what I was thinking about earlier, like why it got removed and everything. But it, it's still interesting, like how that mindset then changed where it's like, OK, it was OK and now it's not OK. Um, just because they are now seeing it in a different light and decide that it's no longer necessary to include as much. But now now it is like now people are adding it in again. All right. So going more in depth with the Apocrypha in another church study guide, it says By this word is generally meant those sacred books of the Jewish people that were not included in the Hebrew Bible. They are valuable as forming a link connecting the Old and New Testaments and are regarded in the church as useful reading, although not all the books are of equal value. So like your last quote said on Wikipedia, they're intertestamental accounts. Yeah. So then the quote continues and it says they are the subject of a revelation recorded in doctrine and covenant section 91 in which it is stated that the contents are mostly correct but with many interpolations by man these books include all right we're gonna go into these books now because there's (laughs) got a a list for you guys and honestly like i was telling kaylee before we started recording so Mm -hmm. in this study guide this is literally just look up apocrypha on churchofjesuschrist.org and you'll find it it lists all of the books that are in the apocrypha and it gives like one to seven paragraphs explaining what is in each of those books which i did not expect there to be that much content okay let's dive in then all right so the first one is the first book of esdras So this book gives further detail into the accounts of Ezra and Nehemiah about Zerubbabel and the destruction of the temple in 588 BC. Interesting. Okay, the second, uh, the next one is the second book of Ezra, which contains multiple revelations given to Ezra, but many scholars actually believe it may have been written in 1 AD. The third one is the book of Tobit. So this actually has the most detail in all of the books. Really? Yes, it tells like the whole story. So I'll tell you like Mm -hmm. a summary of the story. Okay. (laughs) So this book follows the life of Tobit, who is Mm -hmm. a Jew who is God fearing from the tribe of Naphtali living in Nineveh. Uh Um, How he is blinded in his life, gets married, he finds a wife, 
they live a life trying to serve God, and he ends up casting out the demon Asmodeus from this other girl in oh. their oh. village. Okay. Um, after he does all of this crazy work, he uh-huh. he somehow miraculously regains his eyesight, and he That's ends his days working in gratitude to the Lord. So it's oh, huh. it's a very fascinating story. I mm-hmm. highly recommend you look it up. Okay, the next one you also okay you also have to look up because this is my favorite. It is my favorite, the Book of Judith. <sighs> so it's really great. Uh, it purports to describe a romantic event in the history of the Jews. That is the murder of the Assyrian general Holofernes Holofernes um, by Judith, a rich and beautiful widow of Betulia. Um, and the, okay, just as a side note, you guys, Judith beheading. Holofernes, I I can never pronounce it right. I know, I know. Um, but there is so much artwork of her doing this. So Judith's story is like she she does this because the Israelites are like too scared to go to, to battle, and she's like stopping chickens, and they're like yeah, but this general, and she's like fine, I'll get rid of him for you. So she sneaks in, pretends to seduce him, and then beheads him, and then she goes back and she's like ta da, and then they win, and it's amazing. Wow. It's so it's so it's so great. I really enjoy it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. All right. So the fifth book is the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther. So these expand what? the narrative. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> who knew there was what? more? There should be more. Like Esther does <laughs> not get enough. So <laughs> there is. More. So <laughs> these expand the narrative of the canon book that we have with further oh. detail. There's more chapters. There's more in each chapter that we already have. It just gives you more, which is great. Okay. And we need it. We, we do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Uh, the sixth one is the Book of the Wisdom of Solomon. So the object of this book is to warn Alexandrian Jews against abandoning the religion of their fathers as addressed by the Israelite king Solomon. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so the seventh one is the wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus. So it is written in style and character of the canonical book of Proverbs. The greater part of this book is occupied with questions of practical morality. Some of the subjects discussed are friendship, old age, women, avarice, health, wisdom, anger, and servants. Oh, huh. Okay, Um, next one is the book of Baruch. So this one purports to contain a work written by Baruch, uh, the prophet, in Babylon in the fifth year after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Chaldeans. Good stuff. All right. The ninth one is the Song of the Three Children. So it's the story and it's written in their account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the fiery burning furnace. So it's everything from their perspective, like more. Okay. Um, okay, so next one, number 10, is the history of Susanna. Um, this describes how Daniel, as a young man, procured the vindication of Susanna from a shameful charge in the condemnation of the two elders who had borne for- false witness against her. Um, is this, wait, is this, okay, there is a, a, a story portrayed throughout your history, which I think this is about, how these two older men creeped in on Susanna bathing and they're like oh my gosh she's naked so not only did they watch her but then they're like he's not allowed to be naked um and so they tried to like take her to court and then she's like you're stupid and then I guess Daniel got her out of trouble okay so uh, several people have painted this especially in the 17th century um like Rembrandt has one Susanna and the elders that's what they're usually called yeah okay so and it depicts the story of Susanna it says on Wikipedia and and so there, there's always different like interpretations and versions of like was Susanna leading them on? How mean were the men? Were they like trying to be helpful? So on. So at least the artwork is about her like going bathing. These elders come after her, and then but I had no idea that the story goes on any further. I didn't know like and I didn't know that this actually came from scripture or anything. Same. Oh, that is so cool. Um, okay, and then I did see mentioned though that like Susanna is like one of the first um, references of like a court situation or, or something like that. So, Oh, okay, man. I didn't know Daniel has so much more going on for him and the scriptures. That is so cool. 
Right. Okay. Sorry. All right. We can continue. It's just very fascinating. All of this is so fascinating. So the next one is called Bell and the Dragon. In mm-hmm. this fragment, we have two more anecdotes related to Daniel when he was the king and the prophet. So oh, there's so much about Daniel. That's so exciting. All right. The, okay. So after Bell and the Dragon comes the prayer of Manassas. And so this is a penitential prayer built up for the most part of sentences and phrases taken from the canonical scriptures, which is interesting. Yeah. But like, I mean, I guess I could see like why they would not include it if it's like already been included. Yeah. Um, Sounds like the scripture's greatest hits to me. Hey. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's great. (laughs) All right. So the next one is the first book of the Maccabees. It recounts with great minuteness the whole narrative of the Maccabean movement from the accession of Antiochus Epiphanes to the death of Simon. So it just covers what? a lot of time. Yeah, and I don't know anything about that. Mm-mm, so I either. think I need to. Um, and then to conclude, the last one, number 14, is the second book of the Maccabees. And so that deals with the history of the Jews during 15 years, 175 to 160, and therefore goes over part of the period described in the first Maccabees. So <laughs> that's what is in the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. And we highly recommend you guys go look up that article. Check it out. That study yeah. guide. All right. So there is more than just the Apocrypha missing from the Bible. In Lynette H. Reed's third article, she says, The truth is, the records we have, though accepted as scripture and priceless in what they give us, are not totally satisfactory as a complete record. While the four testimonies that bear witness of Christ's life do so with much power, there are many details of his life that are missing. In Mark's story, for example, only 31 days are accounted for. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, it has been pointed out that all of the sayings attributed directly to Jesus in the New Testament can be read in just one half hour. What? When oh. one considers the numerous occasions on which he taught and external evidences of the length of his sermons, it becomes obvious that we have only a very small portion of his teachings. So that's just huh. the ministry that's... of Christ. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Yeah. Like we have very little. And I always thought like, okay, like we've got a, enough from him, but putting it into that context, um, yes, she's right. We have very little. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. But wait, there's more. <laughs> she continues <laughs> and says, but perhaps the most conspicuous gap in the New Testament accounts is the period after the Lord's resurrection. Mm. We know that at that time he spent 40 days with his apostles. 40 days in which his word was expanded upon. How vital these teachings and instructions must have been. Yet they are almost totally missing from our current New Testament. That's true. Right? I I remember texting that quote to you. Because I was like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, like... Oh, I mean, it always aggravated me as a kid to, like, know that, like, we didn't have, like, you know, like, Lehi's portion of the Book of Mormon and everything. Like, there's still so much that we're missing. But, like, I hadn't thought of how much we might be missing, like, from the Bible, like, besides, like, the obvious Apocrypha. But, like, even just, like, of Jesus' ministry, of all his teachings, like, after, before and after his resurrection. Yeah, like, when you sent that to me, I was like, that's not how, like, what? How? Uh, yeah. It's aggravating as well as... It is intriguing. Like, why don't we have that? Yeah. It was too progressive for us. That's it why. had to have been. <laughs> we couldn't have handled it in our fragile mortal state. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, like, okay, so the Book of Mormon helps clarify a bit of this information by showing mm. the resurrected Savior's ministry among the Nephites. That's and true. we have that whole account, except for the bits yes. that were, like, too sacred for them to write down uh, and he forbade them yes. to write down. But the fact of the matter is we still don't have records from the original 12 apostles who were with Christ after he was resurrected or even from uh, the entirety of his ministry. And I know oh. I know we talk about how like one day we're going to receive extra records and and we're going to get more mm-hmm. scripture and more knowledge and stuff like that. Yeah. And honestly like before doing this research I was not aware how much we could potentially be getting. And right? now that I'm aware of everything that I am missing, I am so yeah. excited to get these additional oh, teachings and one day when Christ is back. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
because when we when we were getting ready for this, I, I was like, okay, I know, like like I said, we're missing like Lehi's words, and I know that we're missing like the Apocrypha and those scriptures, but that's what we know about. There, yeah, there's there's so much that we don't know about. There's more. That, like there there's there's so much. There's like, so much that we're, oh. Like oh think about all of those scrolls that were just thrown out or given to yeah. the Romans to destroy, mm-hmm. or like anything between the translations from Aramaic to Hebrew that went missing. Like yeah. all of that stuff. Honestly, it's like it's like losing and or not having like all that like our our like twelve apostles now say like not having like general conference and not having like all the materials that are shared with us now like we could be missing out on so much not just like three or four like letters that were written or something um or testimonies that were like scribed down but so much could be missing yeah man and i know that like prophets and apostles in the past have alluded to like that specifically of how we could be getting so much more in the future and then they say like please focus on what you do have and treasure what you do have right now. Mm -hmm. And so like, even though you and I are super (laughs) hyped about what we don't have right now, like we kind of need to dial it back a little bit and remember that like we have a lot that we still haven't really studied or understood (laughs) as we have learned from this week. (laughs) Very true. There is still so much to be continually learning from our scriptures, from our doctrine that like we do need to concentrate on our behavior. It's important to be aware of what we're missing and to want it, but like not to obsess over it and to concentrate on what we do have. That's a very good point. Yeah. Got to ground us here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Got to dial it in a little bit. Coming back down to earth now, you guys. Yeah. Coming back down. Just going over all this in conclusion, every church and religion clearly believes in different doctrines and ideas, and that's no less the same for the canonization of scripture. So we know how like the Catholic Church eventually accepted the seven books in the in the in the Protestant Apocrypha in Luther's Bible. Others have removed it. Other religions accept the Apocrypha for the valuable lessons, but not necessarily as true doctrine. And it goes on. No matter what the book is, and no matter if it's true, there's still something that can be learned from it. Hopefully, though, we were able to do some of that today. Yeah. And like you said, it's a great opportunity for us to concentrate on what we do have. And the scripture study that we can do now, because honestly, there's truth that can be found all over the place. And as long as we have a core book to return to, um, which for us is usually the Book of Mormon, then we can still apply whatever we do learn from other sources like the Apocrypha, like all those missing books um, that we don't regularly read and consider as scripture. Overall, today was a great reminder that we could all use a biblical refresher in our lives to learn more about the Bible, the history of it, and build our testimonies on it. And I think especially to build our testimonies on it, because Mm -hmm. researching all of this stuff this week really helped me to see, like, oh my gosh, like, I am so grateful that we have what we have, because Mm -hmm. they went through so much to give us this bible like not just the prophets and the apostles who wrote everything but like the religious leaders who preserved the scrolls the translators who made them available passed them through history so that way we could have it today um it's really impressive and it's really amazing that we do have these words today if you think about it like we're in the year 2020 Mm -hmm. christ lived 2020 years ago (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we have those records and like and the records from before that which goes back as far as like a thousand years before that so we have like thousands of years of history available to read and to understand every single day and I think that is so amazing it is very vital what we do have even if everything in the bible is not true or translated correctly it is still important that we have it and that we can learn from it and use it in our lives. Don't rely on other people's testimonies of the Bible to be true. Seek it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Learn the history. Mm-hmm. Read it. Dive in because yes. we need to treasure these words because they are so precious and they mm-hmm. have been through hell and backwards to come to us. So honestly, it's a miracle that, like you said, it's a miracle that we have any of this. Um, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, all of the scripture that we have, it is incredible and we need to use it. We need to embrace it. We need to um, learn and go with it. 
We hope you guys learned something <laughs> cool today. <laughs> yes. And we you had a great time with us. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so and, much. And we've only touched the service, honestly. Yeah. And we would love to do more episodes like this in the future. So if this is something that you find fascinating as well, please let us know. Rate, review, subscribe, comment on Instagram, comment on Twitter. Please. Like, let us know. <laughs> Tell us what you think. We'd love to know what you guys think of, of what we shared. If there are any inaccuracies that we might have mentioned, or if we missed any really cool facts, please let us know. And we'll make sure that we include all those great talking points into any more episodes that we that we create about this. We love it. We love you guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. All right, yes. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.